Hello everybody and welcome to Bear Books Podcast. It's the last episode of season four with yours truly, April Berry. With me, Daisy Ray. And we've also got two guests with us today. Carolyn Ward-Daniels, who has written loads of flash fiction for us and is featured in the anthology, which came out on the 5th of November. Hi, Carolyn. Hi, yeah. And we've also got Dean Wrigley. Also in the anthology on Amazon. <laughs> plug, plug. <laughs> it's all for charity, folks. And they are both going to be reading their flash fiction stories for this writing prompt, which wasn't really a writing prompt at all because it was author's choice. So it's whatever people come up with. No holes barred, no limits. Happy days. So I believe that we're going to have uh, Carolyn's story first. Am I correct in that? Absolutely. Yes, you are. Looking forward to it. Are you happy to read it for us, Carolyn? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's say this is a, a, a short one. We know that the word count is like not one word less than 500 and not one word more than 1,000, and it's, it's difficult to keep it in that. But I wanted that, that challenge to say, oh, I've done one in 500 words. But when I'd written it and I wanted to pluck some stuff out, I, I found I lost some of the scenery in the journey. So... I didn't, but the word count is 544. That's very close. Yes, it's close. I can read it for you now if you wish. Perfect, thank you. Um, This is called Still Life. I can't sign a painting when I think it's finished. I have to ignore it a while and then, then I can view it with fresh eyes. If I then believe it is finished... I will put my name to it. My last painting is ready for that consideration, as Martin forbade me to paint for two weeks. That unsettled my mind and made me angry, which I have to keep wrapped up inside. He said I had lots of chores to do. It's been a 20-year chore being married to him. So, back to my viewing, now he's out of the way. I checked my painting against the photograph I'd painted it from. I do prefer to paint plein air, but to capture the beauty of a moment in the formation of a wave can only be done with a camera. Indeed, several attempts to get the right frame, the perfect light, the crescent, a statue before the tumble. When you've captured that, you can then attempt to paint it. The challenge of choosing tubes of solid colour, mixing them and landing them on a naked canvas and replicating that image is a rewarding feeling. It stills any bad thoughts and absorbs my concentration. It is difficult to paint something that moves and, and constantly changes form like sauntering clouds. The other gripe about painting plein air is that it takes time travelling and setting up an easel, fighting a breeze or rain, and then getting into trouble with Martin because the hoovering didn't get done and his shirts weren't ironed. He thought he could prevent me painting by giving me housekeeping money in tiny amounts so I can't buy art materials. It does make it difficult with a man who demands steak three times a week, but I am thrifty. I can save, and I go without luxuries myself. I go without steak, for one. So, the beach painting, I am happy with. 
the curling wave, nearly transparent. The flicks of spray gives it movement and the froth on the hem of the retreating waves look like you could paddle in them. I've made the pebbles shine like jewels. The colours are perfect. I can sign and date this now. Martin won't see it and nag me for painting instead of mowing the lawn and cleaning his golfing shoes. I can now start my new painting. I like still life. It doesn't move about. I do adore the smell of oil paint and linseed oil, but I need to work in acrylics today as they dry quickly. I put a glob of cadmium red, crimson, and a tiny pimple of black on my palette to begin with. I must get the correct depth of colour of that pool before it dries. But there's a fair amount of it to stay liquid. Maybe I'll just dip my brush in it and put a true colour sample on the scrap paper to check the red against. Oh, I don't want to disturb the pool on the floor. It has such a wonderful depth and sheen to it. Take it from the back of his head. Oops, just trod on your finger, Martin, but you won't feel it. And it was the last time you'll wag it at me. You just bring it to life. I don't think that anything is quite the same as an author reading their own story because you know exactly where every inflection should be and it just makes it perfect. Yeah, I think I'd be inclined to do exactly the same thing as well. What I want to know is where did you drag that story from, Carolyn? I don't know, actually, Paul. Because um, I, I do paint. I, you know, I, I do... Do you know what? I don't even know where the idea came from. It's not like I'd even... Sometimes I'll find some words scribbled down and, and I think, ooh, that, that, you know, I can, I can pull something out of that. But I think it was just this... That, this, that starting at the end just didn't that short amount of words I was aiming for, and it's got to be like a full story. So I don't think you know where it came from. But I think we always end up with a bird somewhere along the line, don't we? We do, yeah. It's not, it's not true life, then. It's not a reflection on... <laughs> oh, no. I always have this fascination. It's like, I mean, all of what people do painting when... And you think, do you know what, that, that painting has, ju has just been solid colour in tubes. I think this is where it kind of started, that somebody can actually take those blocks of colour and mix them and then put it on a, on a canvas and it becomes, you know, this phenomenal replicate of something. Um, and I think it's that. It's like, you know, one pencil, one solid pencil can become a beautiful drawing. And that, that, that to me, is fascinating. Art's always fascinated me because I can't do it. And it always absolutely fascinates me that somebody can actually put that down on a canvas or a piece of paper and it, it just looks amazing. And kind of realise the intricacies of what goes behind a painting. I get frustrated with this because I, I get really a bit precious about it. And there's a lot of swearing goes up when I'm painting because it's got to be dead right. And sometimes I do you do have to go away from it, you know, and and come back and look at it because you get absorbed in one little tiny thing that's not going quite right and you're forgetting to step back and look at the, the whole painting. It's that. Is it the same when you're writing? Because I tend to form an idea before I start, 
sometimes it'll be, uh, well, I'm talking about writing a novel now where there's got to be this long plot. I tend to write in bed in my head at night. And then, and what used to have to happen is, because when I was working, it could only happen at the weekends, you know. So, but now I've got the freedom to be able to come in the cabin, sit down uh, and get it out. It doesn't matter if you've got to screw a few words up, that's, that's a good thing. You know, if you've written, some, as long as you write something, I think, as long as you write, you can, you can always, you can always throw it away. But if you don't write, you don't have anything to, to consider. Yeah, that's true. Very interesting, that. We'll move on to Dean Wrigley now, who has also written a story for Author's Choice. And it's his is um, a continuation of two characters that he's developed since we started this flash fiction thing. So I'm going to turn you over to Dean, who can tell you all about it. Yeah, good evening, everybody. OK, um, my characters, Ginny and Michael, they're the final fiction story in the anthology was an initial draft um i didn't actually send you the correct version there is a corrected version maybe you'd like me to go through and explain why i've changed it yeah do we'd like to hear people can read the first draft in the anthology hint hint and dean if you read us your final draft so that we've got your finished product that would be amazing and and yeah by all means talk through the process please thank you Okay, well, I had a conversation. Well, it wasn't a conversation. It was a, a message, messenger exchange with yourself, who I now consider my editor, who questioned some dialogue and some things were happening. And although initially I, I defended myself, um, I got to think about it and thought, well, yeah, you're, you're probably right. So um, I made a few changes based on that. But... Because of these characters which I'm developing, I, I wanted to give them more of a personality. So there was an earlier story which I had written for the Don't Be Embarrassed, It's Normal flash fiction prompt from a few months ago, which I decided to change the characters' names in that um, to be Michael and a woman called Claudia. Well, Claudia was already there. So now... Michael's first wife is Claudia. In that earlier flash fiction, basically it's how they get together. It's how they, they, they become friends, let's say. Anyway, so I wanted to tie that into Michael's story. And so I changed the name from Sally to Claudia in the, in the latest story. And that's Michael's first wife. Yes. And because you can pronounce Claudia as Claudia or Claudia... That's going to be a running joke that Ginny always says it wrong. Initially, Michael finds that quite amusing, but it, it grates on him in the end when, when she, she just doesn't get it right. <laughs> so they're, they're just uh, sort of personality quirks I've, I've introduced for them. Although they, they don't, that doesn't really appear much in, in this. It's, it's for future things as, as they develop. That's, that's how I, my idea about these two people. Okay, so the story was... Who's Lucy? Ginny had overheard Michael talking to himself in the bathroom. It had played on her mind all night and there was no other option. She just had to ask him, who's Lucy? Michael looked at Ginny, his face turning ghostly white, ashen. Sit down, he said, I'll tell you. They sat at the breakfast table. 
Ginny, suddenly feeling vulnerable, searched for answers in her husband's eyes. Michael began, you know, I lost my virginity when I was 15. She nodded. Well, it was with my girlfriend at school. Lucy, asked Ginny. No, with Faye, said Michael. Me and Faye were in the same class. We had just started as an item. We thought we were in love. We thought we were grown up. We thought we knew what we were doing. Nine months later, Lucy arrived. Ginny took a sharp intake of breath. A daughter, she exclaimed. You never said. And Chrissy never told me she had a big sister. So Lucy would be, what, in her late 30s by now? Where is she? Michael looked down. Chrissy never met her. Chrissy never met her? How come, said Ginny, astonished. Well, they met once, but Chrissy was far too young to remember. She would have been no more than two. Michael's voice was steady and true, but when their eyes met again, Ginny saw some tears glistening. She took his hands. Oh, sweetheart, what's wrong? I'm surprised you kept it from me, but I forgive you. Why the tears? Where is Lucy now? Do you know? Michael nodded and sighed. Breathing deeply, he closed his eyes and continued. When Faye's parents found out she was pregnant, they moved away. They moved miles away and wouldn't let Faye and me have any contact. But my parents were pleased they had gone. It gave them a chance to convince me it was for the best. They didn't want my future to be hindered by a baby. Neither did I, so I went along with it. I was a silly, selfish teenager. I didn't want to be a dad at 15. Oh, Michael, said Jenny sternly, that's not like you at all. I know it was callous, Michael continued, but I was a different person back then. I was only a kid. I didn't even know that Lucy had been born. My parents knew, but they decided not to tell me. They told me Faye was going to have the pregnancy terminated, but she couldn't have done because years later I received a letter and some photographs from Faye asking for money. Are you sure Lucy is yours, quizzed Ginny? Oh, yes, she was definitely my child. She had my family likeness. There were no doubts about paternity. I supported her until she was 16. She left school and started working. When she passed a driving test, I bought her a car. She came to visit me in it. Wow, and you'd never met her before, said Ginny. No, Claudia didn't mind. She encouraged it, wanted us to welcome her into our home. Christy was just a toddler. It was nice. Lucy bought her a little teddy bear. I met up with her once again, just me on the coast somewhere. She was with her boyfriend. What's his name? Oh, it'll come to me. But that was the last time we met. Clark. His name was Clark. Strange name for a forename. Well, Superman's name is Clark. What happened to Lucy? How come you didn't see her again? Did Faye make a fuss or Faye's parents? Has she gone abroad? Michael shook his head. No, nothing like that. I wish it were that simple. He, shook, he took another deep breath and exhaled slowly. He continued, Lucy really suffered with her periods. For a couple of days every month, she turned into a real monster, according to Clark. He usually steered well clear of her when she was in one of her moods. On this winter's night, she was supposed to stay at his place, but the red mist appeared, alcohol fuel, I suppose. They had a blazing round. She got into her car and drove off in the snowstorm. Oh, my God, drunk in the blizzard, Ginny exclaimed. Yeah, Clark said he tried to stop her, but she wouldn't listen. 
He even called the police but couldn't tell them the registration number. I don't blame him. Why would he need to remember that? She was going at a crazy speed for the conditions and overtook a car that was going too slow for her. She lost control of her car and drove it into a tree. She died instantly. The life was simply knocked out of her. Oh, my God, explained Ginny. Clark rang to tell me what had happened. It was so cruel. She was only 18, Michael said sorrowfully. Did you hear from Faye? Ginny inquired. Not straight away. I went to the funeral. Only me. Claudia didn't come. Faye just thanked me for going, and I've not heard from her since. Not that I want to, said Michael. Ginny shuffled on her chair. Wow. I need a cup of tea after that. So Lucy would have been 38 by now. When was her birthday? Yesterday, said Michael. Poor Michael. It's quite a tragic story, that. What made you go down that route? Because that's quite dark, really. Um, I just wanted, as I said, I wanted to pan out their life, especially Michael's life. I thought I was concentrating a lot on Ginny. Um, I've got ideas for for Ginny's life as well, earlier life. Yeah. Um, and I needed some more for Michael. And um, I thought, well, let's introduce some some tragedy tragedy into his life. And, uh, and and this is what I thought. Well, I suppose nobody's life is happy-go-lucky the entire time anyway. At least it's sort of relatable in a way. Yeah. I've got a feeling that Michael has been successful at business or in business, yeah. some, some, sort, some sort of business. Um, he's he, he's made enough money to be able to to live comfortably, and and there's a there's there's an age difference of about fifteen years between Michael and Ginny, so yeah, I'm just expanding these these two characters that I have, trying to give them a more of a personality. Yeah, I had a thought about Ginny and Michael Dean, because you've got quite a few stories around Ginny and Michael about the summer holiday when they met and the life together and him going off to find her and the life together in, in fits and starts in, in the middle of all the stories and everything. So I thought, well, what if you wrote a series of flash fiction that chronicles their lives and made that into like almost an anthology, but not almost like a book, but in flash fiction form. So you could use all the stories you've got and it gives you scope to pad out their lives and in lots and lots and lots of ways going forward for yourself as a personal project. Nothing to do with me. It just popped into my head. That's an idea that I've had as well. I've, I've got an idea of what happened on the holiday to make Ginny estranged from her sister. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, I'll message you that idea. I've introduced a neighbour in one story called John. He's got a cat called Yoko. You know, there's a few more characters, as you know, Mrs. Goldsmith and her husband and their daughter and their grandson. And so, so I've got a little community going as well. So I need to pad out their bits too. It could be the beginning of something much larger for you. It gives me more scope to introduce and have a bit of fun. Yeah. I've been reading a lot of Dickens, which has helped. <laughs> I don't know how Dickens helps. <laughs> Well, he, he uses lots of big words, <laughs> which, are, which are very descriptive big words, like countenance. That says a lot, doesn't it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. 
I like the idea that when <laughs> when Dean said, "Oh, I, I think he's quite successful." I, I like the contrast. He said something bad happened to him, which obviously it did. A bit of pathos chucked in, but and, and then that Daisy's idea of actually sort of like a little serial, if you like. These people that you're going to introduce, it would be great if like his success is then contrasted by something awful. If you do, you know what I mean. So it's like money's not everything. Yeah, that kind of contrast. Mm, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and how different Ginny is to Michael. Yeah. She's yeah. the fluffier of the two, isn't she? Yeah, she's she's very airheaded. Quite carefree. You 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 wonder you wonder why why they're ever attracted to each other, but he loves her and she loves him. So that's you know. That's Maybe they fill in that missing part of each other. Yeah, Michael is Ginny's steady part, and Ginny is Michael's adventure. Yeah, possibly. Maybe. Yeah, it's got scope to develop now, so I'm quite I'm quite happy that with, with that and, and the little ideas that, I've, that I'm getting for um for the running jokes or the the personality quirks that they have opens extra little bits of lines to add. Yeah. Definitely interested to see where that goes. Thank you very much, Dean. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for publishing it. I'm, I'm enjoying reading everybody's um, contributions. I am. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> we just need everybody else to buy it so we can make lots and lots of donations to our charity. So the final story we've got today, it's called Loving a Stranger, and it was written by Jane Love, who sadly can't be with us today. But in her absence, I will read this story on her behalf. Um, it's quite a sad one, so tissues at the ready. As Ali glanced over the breakfast table, she looked at her partner of 22 years and smiled. She thought back to when they first met. Ali wasn't a party girl, but her friends dragged her along to an online meetup in the gay village in Manchester. Ali was on the shy side, not confident around people she didn't know, so this was a big thing for her. She tried not to get noticed. She was on the chubby side with glasses and not, in her opinion, a pretty girl. As she glanced around the room in the last pub of the evening, one girl stood out from the crowd, and wouldn't you know it, she made her way over to Ali's group of friends. Hi, I'm Rennie, she said to Ali's group of friends. They all introduced themselves in turn, and when it came to Ali's turn, she dropped her head, looking at the floor as she shyly whispered, I'm Ali. Rennie joined the group for what was left of the evening, and they all had a fun time. As they were all getting ready to leave, Rennie asked Ali for a number. Surprised but flattered, Ali put her number in Rennie's mobile and gave it back to her. Rennie rang it. Just checking, she said, and you've got mine now. I'll call you sometime. We can make a date if you want. Ali smiled. In the taxi home, Ali smiled to herself thinking, she won't phone, she was just being nice. Then her phone rang. It was an unsaved number. Normally, she didn't answer those calls, but some instinct told her to, so she did. Hi, it's Rennie. Can you come back to the pub? You've left your coat behind. Ali asked the taxi driver to go back, and when she got there, Rennie sent the taxi driver on his way. That was their first meeting, and to be honest, there didn't seem to be any time at all between then and then becoming a serious item. They moved in together three months after meeting, and everything was good. Ali smiled, thinking of their first kiss, 
Rennie had slid her arm around Ali's waist, putting her hand in the small of her back and pulling her in close. Ali had let out a small gasp. That kiss was the beginning of a beautiful, mutually passionate, caring life together. Rennie was a photographer and travelled a lot. Ali was a retail manager in a supermarket and worked too much. But they found the right balance, so they got quality time together. 22 years later, and they had never spent a night apart. Ali buttered a slice of toast and put it on Rennie's plate. Marmalade, honey or golden syrup? she asked. Rennie looked at her and said, beans means Heinz. Ali smiled and went to the cupboard. She heated a can of beans and put them on the now cold toast and passed the plate to Rennie, who chuckled. They make me fart. Ali laughed. And then the reality hit her and she had to fight to keep the tears at bay. Two years ago, their life together changed forever. Rennie had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. It was a shock, but the changes were small and manageable in the beginning. She had got progressively worse over the last six months, though. And it was so hard for them both. Rennie was only 66. Two years on and the moments Rennie was actually herself were fewer and fewer. Ali wasn't ready to lose the love of her life. She wasn't ready to be alone or for the emptiness of life without Rennie. She didn't care that she had to sell their house to pay for the care home because it wouldn't really be home without Rennie anyway. Rennie being safe and cared for by professionals, that mattered. They're coming from the care home today, Rennie. They'll be here any time now, Ali said, trying to check her emotions. The doorbell rang. Ali walked slowly to the door. She ran her hand across the back of Rennie's shoulders as she passed her. Rennie spoke quietly and clearly. I've always loved you, Ali. I never want to forget that. The tears fell from Ali's eyes and the doorbell rang again. That's actually quite a sad story. It is a very sad story, but it, what what makes it even more, I think, poignant is that that is based on fact. And that is what hundreds of couples face every week because of losing their partners to Alzheimer's and dementia. So the partners are not lost to them physically, but mentally they're not there any longer. Yeah, I think it's really, really sad in lots of ways, but also like how she's downplayed the fact that she's not just losing a life partner, she's losing a home and everything, and how that pales into insignificance besides the fact that she's losing Rennie. Losing a partner, yeah. But she'll have nothing left. It's just tragic, really. That's really It really touches you. It is a very tragic story. Um, it's unfortunate, actually, that Jane can't be with us because it would have been nice to have had a conversation with her about that and, and where, you know, how she sort of decided that that's the way she was going to go with the flash fiction. So I thought it was it was really good. Yeah. That's very brave as well. Do you think so? Why brave, Dean? Because it is very upsetting. And it's facing something which people may feel is better left inside your, your head as opposed to reading it out. It could make people feel a little bit uncomfortable, but she's facing it anyway, you mean? Yeah. It could, I suppose it could like trigger some people, make some people sad or remind them of things that have happened in their own lives. 
All that are happening. But yeah, all that are happening now. It seems more prevalent now as well, doesn't it? You hear more and more about it, whereas you never used to hear as, as much of people with dementia. And I just think it's so somehow it, there's more people suffering now than before. How is that? And it is sad. That is a really sad story. But I love the way it's constructed, though. I, I, lovely construction, that is. Yes. I should be really pleased to hear that. She's a very, very, she's never written before. She's only ever written for us. So she, this is the first time she's done anything, the first time she's even contemplated doing anything. Well, I, I love the summer holidays. Wow, that was that was lovely. Summer, was that the Lady Alice Granger? Yes. See, that, that again was a sad ending. There was another one as well, wasn't there? Another one of, of Jane's that... To... Jane did, um, was it Brave Bear? Was that the other one? I'm trying to think of the one that she wrote. I've not got the copy of the anthology with me at the moment. I have. <laughs> Carolyn's come prepared. Go, Carolyn. But yeah, Jane does have a very, um, and I, I want to use the word mournful slant to her stories, but I don't think that's quite the word I'm looking for. Jane's stories have got very much a hint of realism through them. I think she's quite an emotional writer. Well, massive thank you to Jane for sending that one in so that we could read it on her behalf. Really, really have enjoyed this. I, I love the flash fiction episodes. I love other people's creativeness. I love how much I learn from what you do. And they just stress me out because I get never get a story written until about three minutes before we're due to record. I'm always rocking up to the episode with the ink still wet on the story. <laughs> yeah, we only ever get a first draft from April. <laughs> <laughs> so every April story that everybody's listened to that listens regularly, you are going to get a slightly different version in the anthology. Because <laughs> it needs editing and smartening up and tidying up a little bit. You do. And I know it drives you mad, doesn't it? Um, yes. <laughs> Chalk and cheese, we are. And we've had some fun, though, on this season. Oh, yeah, I've loved it. As a, as a final episode, I think this is amazing. We've got creativity, we've got stories to tell, we've got authors joining us that have been part of the journey for the whole time we've been doing flash fiction. Yes. Which is amazing. And I love that, well, I love how invested all the authors are. It's like we're all one big family now. I got up Friday morning thinking, oh, oh, it's it's the day, right? Made a cup of coffee, that bit toast, sat down, put it on, thinking, I think you heard this. Of course it wasn't, was it? So and I really missed it. I really missed it. Oh, that's lovely, lovely to hear, Carolyn. Let's hope that you're not on your own in that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for a little podcast that is unknown, we are fast heading towards our first 10,000 downloads, which I think is amazing that that many people are listening to your stories and to the book reviews from authors that they don't really know because they're all indie authors. And the platform that we've set up for everybody, it's just working like a charm and I am so happy about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Not to mention grateful. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what we've got? What have we got to look forward to then? Because obviously this is the last 
episode of this season. So what have we got to look forward to? I know, right? Well, we have been debating whether or not to do a Christmas special. And we've decided we are. And <laughs> and we've decided we are. So we've had words around and I've been asking a few people, what would you like the Christmas special to be about? Would you like us to review a Christmas indie written book, Christmas story? Would you like some more flash fiction with a Christmas theme? And the consensus is that they'd like flash fiction, actually, which I was quite chuffed about again, because I do like a flash fiction. I won't kill Santa this year, though. <laughs> no, don't. Oh, that's nice to hear. <laughs> I might even try and make it a happy one. Nah. <laughs> nah, why would you? Why would you? Nah. So I think it might be nice to try and actually get that out on Christmas Day. I think that's a plan. I know it's like it's only a month away. Well, just under now. So you're two of our favourite authors. Do you think you could get Christmas stories written for this one? Putting you on the spot. What's the prompt? Christmas. Christmas, Dean. Christmas. Your one for Christmas last year, Dean, was beautiful. I loved how you started and ended with the same twinkly Christmas light set up. Yes, I shall have that again this year. I'm wondering if we ought to call the prompt Boris is cancelling Christmas again. You can't trust a man that combs his hair with a toffee apple to run a country. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it would be lovely to have Christmas-themed flash fiction episode for Christmas Day. And then that will be it for season four and for the Christmas special. Season five won't kick off until the middle of January. And what we've decided to do for the next season is to do the episodes on the 15th and the 30th of every month. So on the 15th of every month, you know you are going to get some of the best flash fiction known to man read to you on this podcast. And on the 30th of every month, you're going to get a review where April and I will be reviewing our indie author book of choice. And occasionally we may even drag the authors in and we're going to have some interviews in season five as well. Sounds good. I would like to thank uh, Carolyn and Dean for today for being with us. And I'd also like to thank Jane for submitting the story. Very poignant. But I'd also like to, to thank Carolyn and Dean as well for the amount of contribution that they've done towards the podcast and the amount of contribution that they've made towards our anthology. Oh, bless you. You're welcome. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you both. So we will see you at Christmas. See you at Christmas. Lovely. Look forward to it. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or if you want to send in your stories, email us at submissions at bearbooks.co.uk. Bye.